Welcome to episode three of Beyond the Pillion podcast. My name is Kahi Wasabaya, she, her pronouns, and I am the chaotic one. And I am Mark Drexler, he, him pronouns. And as far as I'm concerned, the car can live in the street as long as the bikes are in the shed. <laughs> Today, we are talking about buying your first bike, uh, including a little bit of my experience of trying to buy my first bike. <laughs> mm, which will be a good story. Um, And, of course, we would like to begin today's podcast by acknowledging that today we are recording this podcast on the land of the Kaurna people and to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Absolutely. And as with all things, and as we warned you in the trailer and in our first episode, uh, the right first bike for you is going to depend. Um, If you've come to this podcast expecting to get a single one model or make um, to just go out and search for and buy. No, (laughs) but what we will be giving you um, are a a list of things, a list of questions, things to consider about what is going to be the right first bike for you because it will depend on a whole bunch of things including your budget, your preferences, potentially your body shape or height, your confidence Mm -hmm. and comfort, where and how you intend to ride and so much more. So the first and most important question though is this, what are you going to use your bike for? Mark? Mm. Yep, I get this is a very, very common question. Uh, well, that is a very common question that I ask uh, when people come into the store, particularly new riders who walk into the store, they're, they're not sure what they're looking for. They know they want to ride, um, but they say, I'm just, I've, I've just got my license, is very typical. I just went and did my, um, my learner's permit course um, on the weekend, and I'm brand new and I need to buy a motorbike. What would you recommend? And the first question I will come back to them is, what is the main thing you're going to be using the bike for? So is it going to be uh, you know, some of the most common ones or is it something that you just need to commute around uh, you know, within the sort of 10 to 15k radius around the Adelaide flat, flat bit? Um, is it something you're looking at more as a social relaxation type of thing, just to go out and do some fun rides in the evenings or on the weekends? Um, are you looking at something that can do long rides or are you just going to be doing mostly short stuff? Are you, do you need something that can comfortably sit on, on highway speeds for long periods of time or do you just need something that's going to be able to at least do sort of 60 k's an hour, 80 k's an hour? Are you ever going to be uh, expecting to take the bike on any dirt um, or is it going to be a full-time most of your your riding is off-road riding or you know is it going to be exclusively on the road so those are some of the most common questions that as soon as a person comes in saying i don't know where to start what bike is the best one for me i get mm. them to start thinking about what is your use case what are the main things that you're going to be doing yeah because that really then leads into two key criteria um yeah as as an evaluator i like to think about broad criteria first and then use that to narrow down to specific models but yeah so that type of writing um if you're yeah commuting is it relaxation is it longer rides is it you know going super speedy and fast is it dirt or off-roads that's going to help you narrow down to whether you're looking at 
bikes in a super sport category, a sports tourer or cruisers or adventure tourers or dirt bikes. Um, and particularly if you're using an online website, that's, that's just going to be helpful to filter down um, your bikes and have a, a conversation mm. with staff yep. at a dealership. It also um, then connects into the size of bike. So the size of the engine as well as mm-hmm. the typically the kind of physical size. You know, are you looking for something that is small and light and zippy for kind of short rides or commuting? Are you looking for something that's um, you know, easy to maneuver, maybe a little bit bigger, maybe a little bit more comfortable at higher speeds? Then you might be looking at something in a, a four to 600 cc kind of range as opposed to one to 300 cc's. Um, or are you looking for something and, and if I could throw in, quite to throw in something yeah. there. Sorry, I was I was just going to say in there, uh, one that is closely connected that with that is your your physical size and strength. So mm. the the amount of uh, how strong you are will actually determine in a lot of cases the size of bike that you are going to feel comfortable with, particularly as your first bike. Absolutely, yeah. So the the type of of bike. Um, is that's going to be right for you or that's going to you know, be a good option is going to depend on you and your use cases. So those become two kind of things to think about. I think some of the other criteria that um, I know that we talked about when I was looking at buying my first bike was um, something about the age. You know, do you want mm-hmm. something maybe a bit newer, um, often has kind of more gadgets and gizmos and um, especially now safety features like ABS. Yes, um, but they can cost a little bit more um, or you're comfortable with something a little bit older usually a bit more affordable but they might have some quirks uh, in my case uh, having a choke uh, on my first bike which I hated which was excellent yes, motivation to sure get did. onto a bigger yep. bike <laughs> <laughs> um, but well, I also yeah a newer bike I, I really liked shifting from having a choke to fuel injection and things like uh, gear gauges and having a speedometer and a tachometer um, are things that I look for in a bike um, and that can be more um, prevalent in newer bikes um, but that can also just be a feature mm. um, and uh, maybe something a little bit more uh, particular to women and, and people assigned female at birth but something about the style and colour I, th- I think I think men also think about this but um, it might not be as important to you but for me it was definitely very important I wanted a bike that I wanted to look at that I felt like I looked good on that made me want to ride it to take care of it um, I also like brighter colours partially it's a safety thing mm-hmm. to try and increase visibility but also because I just like colour um, and a you know, matte black bike is not congruent with me as a person, let alone as a rider. Um, but other people might have a different different kind of vibe and, and that's also totally valid and useful to know if you have a particular style or, or feel that you want out of a bike. Um, oh yeah, for me, there are certain shapes of bikes that just, they, they just don't work for me. They are not, they're, they're not things that I enjoy. Uh, and so that helped to really narrow down the field to just go mm, that doesn't feel right yeah uh, sometimes that didn't quite make sense to you mark did it when we were going through models of bikes of things that i liked or things that i didn't <laughs> it it didn't but it also kind of highlighted to me 
Um, I'm a fairly logical sort of person. Um, it did highlight to me that um, you know, buying a bike can often be a lot more emotive than mm. buying a car. I've, I've noticed that selling bikes for almost a year now, that it, a, a lot of the time it really is a very um, emotional type of connection when people are looking for, for a particular bike. And, and colour does really come into it. Um, often a car... Not always, but I think a lot more often cars kind of boil down to the, the facts and figures and the cost and the fuel economy and the this and that and everything else. Bikes tend to have a lot more people I've found that are, what's the one I just want to get on and ride? And I will often have mm. that, that conversation with people that if you're narrowing it down and you, you've done your initial shortlisting to come down to maybe a handful of bikes and any one of them could be the one, um, it's a, it is a genuine thing for me that I say to people to say which is the one that you just look at and you just want to get on it more um, and factor that in, into your thinking because the one that you do have a connection with and I know you have this with uh, with your current bike and you probably have with uh, your other previous bikes Kay, with it, you, you do have a real um, mm. well, a, emotional attraction to just look at it and say yeah I, I, I don't have to explain why I just like it yeah, and I think it connects to um, you know some of the the intangible intangible benefits or intangible motivators for wanting to ride, wanting to become a motorcyclist that we alluded to in the previous episode. Um, so it makes sense then if part of the reason that we might be wanting to get a bike, to ride a bike, is about emotion, is about vision and and self-actualization and self-presentation and all that kind of stuff. It therefore makes sense that one of the things that might influence mm. the bike that works for you or that lights your switch um, could be more emotive and, and not a purely logical quantifiable criteria. And I suppose what I'm trying to say is, is that that is totally valid and that is okay. Uh, and you are allowed Absolutely to right. just want a bike because you like the bike. <laughs> That's totally cool. Yep. Here, to, here to support that. Yeah, or that you, yep, that you just like the colour. Um, mm -hmm. The only sort of counter to that is to say, uh, depending on the bike you're looking at, if you particularly just, if you can see past a colour and just like the shape of the bike, then, you know, there are always options around getting panels re-sprayed, about getting panels wrapped. Um, we, we see that from time to time. It doesn't have to be if you love the shape of a bike, but you just hate the colour because particularly some manufacturers, and I'm not looking at any in particular, tend to have uh, <laughs> tend to have three, maybe three colours on offer every year. Two of them don't tend to change from year to year. One of them will be black. Um, one of them will be whatever the signature colour of that brand is, and the third one will be something different. Um other other brands have seemingly every colour under the rainbow. If the, there's no one rule for each manufacturer, but uh, and even years of manufacture, uh, you know, bikes between year to year. Where, Kahiwi, you love your yellow one that was only mm -hmm. released in 2016. We won't see another yellow one in the model that you've got until probably, if we're lucky, 2026. Um, so yeah, but but for you, even if you hadn't got that one, we could have bought the same model, swapped over the panels on it, um, or got them wrapped or resprayed, and boom, you've got something that's in the shape you like, in the colour you like. So, it's yeah. it's sometimes it's hard, I think, as a new buyer to look past that if you really do want to go down that path. And often, yep, yeah, what, what's the one that's the nicest colour? Yep, yeah, cool, I'll go that yeah. way. 
<laughs> and I think so I think what it comes down to really is just just doing your research so um, yeah starting out by thinking about what type of ride do you want to be able to do um, mm-hmm. therefore what are some different characteristics of bikes that work well for that type of ride um, and then you know what preferences do you have in terms of newer versus older what's your budget all that kind of thing um, and yeah so once you've come up with a bunch of those different potential options then odds are they're going to be a lot of online reviews to have a look at the characteristics of the bike the strengths and weaknesses a lot of online reviews with actual um, like videos of rides on YouTube, um, online reviews, and even just talking to kind of friends or people in a network can be really helpful to get um, some information. Yeah, um, absolutely, and and probably the only uh, the only slight caveat there is that uh, if there is one thing that there is no shortage of on the internet, it is opinions. Um, <laughs> very often those are, are ill-informed you'll find plenty of contradictory ones I think if you want to jump onto any motorcycling forum and start a fight uh, jump on there and ask what, what's the best oil that I should use on my uh, engine oil I should use in my insert motorbike name here then just grab your popcorn sit back and watch people tear each other to pieces um, the, the other one is uh, what, what's the best way to clean my chain Something as simple as that, but you will get uh, one of multiple camps that will all arc up within about yeah two, two or three sentences um, into a, a, a full-scale fight about what's right versus wrong. So um, as with anything when you're looking on the, in- the internet, there's great information. Bring a little bit of scepticism to the table and ask yourself, what, why should you trust the views of this person? Um, what's the likelihood that their view is a very isolated one? Um, yeah, versus, no, this seems to be the general wisdom. Yeah, but because of that previous uh, emotion-driven comment that we were talking about earlier, I think also, yeah, you've got permission here to just go with your gut. Um, if the reviews are saying yeah, something yep. and you're feeling something different, then then your view is valid, so, so go with that. I think another similar... Um, hot hot conversation starter that I've seen in the, the online forums and groups that I'm in um, is particularly from women who asking something along the lines of you know I'm 150 160 centimeters yes. tall you know, what's a good bike for me um, and invariable you know invariably people suggest specific models which you know, can be helpful to know mm-hmm. others maybe less helpfully in my opinion uh, might suggest to just get used to it and you can ride any bike which uh, yes, is true uh, however um, there are advantages to having a bike uh, that is designed for or, or suits your height and and Mark that's something you, you see quite a bit in your yeah. line of work uh, absolutely and I, I've, I've had to break up conversations between couples more than one occasion where the uh, one partner who's been riding for longer says no you'll you'll get over it and the other and the other person who tends to be shorter is saying no I don't feel confident and confidence is the word to zoom in on there Mm. because there is so much in and Kay will talk more about this later um, when you're just beginning is about feeling confident on whatever bike you are on um, so I, I tend to, uh, in those situations, to I, I've never gone down the path of saying, yep, suck it up, you'll get used to it. 
what I do do though is to at least uh, for the ones that we sell try and try and know the ones which can be lowered so something that doesn't get talked about a lot in online forums but is absolutely a thing for a whole lot of different uh, bikes new and old is that a lot of them can be lowered uh, often it will need some extra parts to be bought uh, and probably need need a, a motorbike workshop to be able to do it but very often you can get a bike that's uh, that, that will be able to be dropped down anywhere from like two to five centimeters uh, without without all that much effort uh, and, and if you're not sure about your particular bike if you if you're shortlisting your bikes and you've got one you think oh that looks good but I think it'll be too tall just do a google search for the name of the bike and lowering kit and you will find out pretty quickly whether or not there are kits available that can that can help lower a bike that otherwise could be perfect yeah that, I mean that's what happened for me when I took my MT-07 out for a test ride um, mm. and you know, trying to do a, a U-turn and trying to come out of um, relatively steep um, kind of boom down into the sidewalk and into the gutter and it uh, yeah, I didn't couldn't quite get both of the balls and my feet on the ground trying to paddle walk and up and down and stuff like that and came back and advised yep there's a lowering kit available as you said it was you know, a couple of hundred bucks um, done by the workshop and they would do that as part of getting the bike ready for me uh, to pick up um, and it it was great it, it only needed a couple of centimeters for me um, but it just made the biggest difference feeling confident that I could mm. paddle walk the bike if I needed to that I could you know, get both of my feet down on the ground even just the balls of my feet uh, to be able to just switch off or um, you know, relax the body a bit more if I was at a stop or at traffic lights and that makes a huge it does make a huge difference mm. yep completely agree with you um, and the, the other thing I would add on to that is uh, and I'll talk about going and having a look at bike shops uh, very shortly but when you are looking at different bikes and sitting on different bikes try and go around to the bike stores or wherever you're going with with riding shoes on rather than thongs mm. or or very thin sneakers because I have a lot of people come in they'll jump on a bike they're wearing their thin you know relatively thin soled sneakers uh, and I say yeah look yes maybe it's a bit of a stretch with that but you're going to add on another centimeter by having some proper bike shoes or boots that have got nice thick nice thick soles on them so yeah yep that, that is you can get a bit a bit at the top and a bit at the bottom and add those things together and next thing you know you've got a bike that does feel uncomfortably tall feeling far more manageable um, definitely going out to see bikes and, and bike shops can be quite useful you you've got some tips yep. around that Oh, yeah, just so those questions that I talked above, absolutely go out and, and uh, do some nosing around different, uh, different motorbike shops once you've, once you've got your short list. Um, if, it's, if it's a bike shop that's worth, that's worth their salt, then they should be asking you some of the questions above to help you narrow down your choices uh, that you might have. And every now and again, uh, you might have done your shortlisting based on what you found on the internet, but I have had situations where I've thrown, I, I try and throw a wildcard en entry in to say, look, yeah, I reckon it's uh, A, B and C are probably the three most likely. 
But if you want a wild card that might be slightly different, that you might not have thought about, here's this other bike over there. And, and sometimes that does make people think, oh, hang on a minute. Um, if, if I was to throw this to Kahi or as an evaluator, they look and they think, yeah, actually, maybe my evaluation criteria weren't set up properly in the first place. And maybe what I've come down to with my shortlisting, yeah, I'm actually thinking about the wrong things, aren't I? Um, mm. So, yeah, definitely go in, uh, have a have a chat with your local bike shop and your local bike shops, and and see what you can uh, see what you can find out by sitting on them if they have them in stock. Be prepared that if you're buying a new bike, uh, there's no guarantee that they will have that particular model in stock. Um, sometimes, hopefully, they will. We, we certainly try and keep them, but uh, it really depends on how much stock is coming in, has come into the country, when the manufacturers are releasing them and, and everything else. So, yeah, at times that might be tricky. Yeah. And I think um, when you when you go to, to start to look at the different bikes in the bike shops that and just have a, a set on them, that can really help you to work out your shortlist of bikes. Totally. As you were saying, Mark, and potentially having a bit of a, a wild card option in there. Um, and that should help you then work out, yeah, what are some actual, uh, yeah, the actual examples that you might be keen on um, down to specific models. Um, and that's when you can start thinking about whether you want to buy new or used. Um, and if you're buying used, whether you want to buy through a dealer or buy privately, and they've all got their advantages and their disadvantages and their challenges and their opportunities. Um, Mark, you've got some advice around buying new bikes. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the new new bikes, they are, it's probably a similar process to... Uh, to buying a new car for anybody who's who's bought a bought a new car and some of the standard things to go and uh, and ask about when you are looking at new bikes because it will vary between makers. Uh, warranty is one of the things which which may vary. So I think most at the moment you would find would offer anywhere between between one and three years of of uh, warranty from your time from the time that you buy the new bike. Um, they'll all cover you know basically for the bike to operate as you would expect it to operate, but not cover things like consumables. So for example, if you wear out a tire, then yeah, okay, you've worn out a tire because you rode on it. Um, another one is uh, service intervals. So uh, service intervals and service cost. So that can vary from bike to bike. So it's a, a useful one to ask in terms of longer term uh, total cost of ownership for the bike to say if you are buying a new bike because you're planning on keeping it for you know, three, four, five years, then it's worth just understanding um, uh, firstly the, the the service schedule and it's also worth having a look at when the uh, when major services are due. So similar to a mm. car, motorbikes will, um, if, if I think about the, the brands that I sell, one of them has major services which is getting in and adjusting a particular part in the motor that takes a bit of work. Uh, one of them it needs adjustment every 10,000 Ks and the other one needs adjustment every 40,000 Ks. So there's quite a bit of variability there in how often you, you can expect that you'll need to, to be paying for, for some of the bigger, uh, bigger services. Uh, once, once you've started um, doing that, that'll help you in your shortlisting. Um, also looking at stock availability. So as I kind of hinted at before, there are some models 
that um, that that we sell that if if you want one yep I've got half a dozen that I can get you on by tomorrow there are others where I'd be saying yeah give me give me a deposit now and I'll give you a call back in six months so uh, the availability is something don't, don't assume that every motorbike you see on the internet from any new new seller uh, is going to be available when you walk in and yeah, you can just grab one and uh, mm. and right away on it the following day. Uh, I think uh, COVID and just the general state of the world has, has probably changed that for for a good while to come. Um, and finally, when, you, when you're shopping around, you'll find that most places selling new bikes, they're all going to be using a recommended retail or, or thereabouts. But it, all, but it can also be uh, a great time if you are brand new to be um, hitting up those shops to say, well, you're a brand new rider, you're going to need as we talked about in the last episodes, um, at least a helmet and some gloves and maybe some other gear as well. Um, so, so put them on the spot to look at what kind of deal they can do as you are getting set up because often that is a great time for a dealer to be able to say, yep, well, I'm selling a whole package here. I've got more room to move on being able to bundle together a bunch of stuff in terms of putting a, putting a discount on it. Mm. I think that is just in terms of room to move is probably something to bear in mind um, if you've never bought a motorcycle before but are familiar with buying a car typically you know discounting or negotiating on the price of motorcycles is a lot less um, and a lot less common um, in comparison to buying cars um, so yeah, ultimately they know, just, are just kind of typically cheaper that. cheaper vehicles yeah, that they are they are lower cost vehicles, and therefore, um, what might seem you know saving a hundred or two hundred dollars off a bike might be the equivalent of saving, you know, many hundreds of, of dollars on a car that's worth you know five times as much. So mm. yeah, it's all economies of scale. Yep, and I think the the other thing um, you've shared a lot um, is, is thinking about how you're going to store your bike. And that when you're buying your first bike, um, particularly if you're also looking at getting gear and other things, um, it can be useful to think about how you're going to store it because um, bikes are a lot more vulnerable to the elements than cars are. Um, mm. I know in a previous house where we lived where it had a you know kind of open carport at the back, um, we had a few bikes that were regularly undercover, had little bike covers that would live on those bikes. Um, and that's a, a really nice way to try and keep the bike in good condition, um, not only just in terms of your enjoyment, um, but also in terms of keeping its resale value down the line if you do decide to sell it. Um, but thinking about where you're going to store your bike and how you're going to store it and what you might need for that or therefore does that influence how much you might want to spend on it or the type of bike that you might want to get um, can also be an important factor. Yeah, I'll just double down on that one as well to say uh, motorbikes are, they are more delicate creatures compared to a car. I mean, my intro today about the car living outside is is genuine. The car does live outside. <laughs> uh, f firstly, because I don't care about it as much as I care about my motorbikes, but also just because it is a lot more resilient. Uh, th there's a lot less nooks and crannies for water and salt and dirt and everything else to get into. Um, compared to compared to a car uh, and the, the the better you look after your your bike the better you are going to uh, better time you're going to have later on when it comes to uh, 
to, to resale value. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll talk a bit more about this when we do our next podcast episode about secondhand bikes, but I suppose buying a new bike, which eventually will be a secondhand bike, keep it clean, keep it serviced, um, keep all of the original bits and paperwork and books and things like that, and you are going to make your life much easier later on when you are coming to... Uh, when your bike is now a second-hand bike and you're trying to get the most that you possibly can for it. Mm. Which I think is a really nice segue into our, our final overarching yeah. point here when you're thinking yes, about buying what, your what first bike. What a coincidence. Ah, almost like we'd planned it. Um, yeah, I know, when right. you're buying your <laughs> When you're buying your first bike, keep in mind that this doesn't have to be your only bike that you have forever and ever. Um, I think it's quite mm, common for... True people to uh, buy a first bike um, that might get them through their learner's permit period, particularly in South Australia, to then you know, use that bike to do the test to get your R date, uh, so your provisional motorcycle license. Um, and once you're off your provisional motorcycle license onto a full motorcycle license, then um, the restrictions on what type of bike you can ride legally um, come off and that's often a really common point in time for people to go from a smaller bike to a more powerful bike um, partly because you know a couple of years of riding a bit more confident but also because legally allowed to be able to do that does make it a, a bit nicer um, so yeah keep in mind that your first bike doesn't have to be your only bike um, and that's that's certainly been my experience we we alluded to this a little bit in in the first episode um but yeah, when I first got my learner's permit, we had done all of the same research that we talked about here, um, decided that something like mm. a, <laughs> a Yamaha MT-03, a Honda CB300, a Kawasaki Ninja mm -hmm. 300, something like that would probably suit me. Um, and mm -hmm. after I got my learners, we, we went to take uh, the first of those on the list for a test ride, the MT-03 at a local dealer. And um, I think not even five minutes in, uh, I came up to an intersection having 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 forgotten what gear I was in, uh, how to change gears, freaking out about making sure I turned my indicator on, freaking out about incoming cars and how to read the gaps and how to accelerate out. And as I came up to that corner, I fell over. Uh, yes. Did a I small amount of damage to the bike. It, it, it was like watching a, a, a tree gracefully fall in a rainforest. It was slowly she started falling over and then she fell over. Thankfully, very that, gently that, without being hurt. That half second of falling, I swear, felt like hours just elongated, knowing, <laughs> knowing that I was falling and knowing that there was nothing that I could do and no. just slowly dying inside. Um, and that... Yeah, small amount of damage to the bike, but actually quite mm. significant damage to my confidence. Um, There's the C word. Yep. I think we, t we took a few minutes to kind of just calm down, you know, get out of the way and calm down. Um, and somehow, I, I don't remember state of mind, got the bike back to the dealership, paid the excess for the damages <laughs> uh, and left completely mortified uh, and, mm. and really questioning if this was for me. Yep, and I did. I was concerned in that moment I, that you might have just walked away and never come back. Mm. Um, mm. 
and um, I, I think I remember you, know, you asking and taking a bit of time to think about it and then coming back to the point that I wanted I wanted those intangible benefits that we spoke about in the previous episode. I wanted that vision for myself as a badass motorcycle chick. I, I wanted that. I wanted to be that. Um, so, Mark, you you did some more research uh, in thinking about an appropriate bike, yeah? Yeah, which was looking at it and just thinking that the main criteria really were not was not about buying the the, the longer term nicer bike that I know um, the emotion part of Kaiba said, yep, I want one of those ones. And even the, the on paper stuff said, yep, a 300cc something or other would be about right. But I thought, no, do a, a small, low-cost investment, get something low, light, underpowered, and probably the same as many, many other people who are in the similar situation uh, ended up coming back to the totally um, non-threatening um, Uber Eats-enabled Honda CB125e. <laughs> How did you I'm pretty sure ended up selling it to an Uber that? Eats driver. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, yeah, I think I they might have been, actually. Yeah, this, uh, this, this, this thing, you know, she rattled uh, and protested thoroughly. Uh, I remember taking her on, on a ride at 80 k's an hour. Very, very unhappy, very uncomfortable the bike was. Um, and where we lived at the time was, was quite hilly and, and had some good hilly corners and really needed a good dose of momentum uh, to, to get up those hills and those corners. Um, but it was perfect. Um, to really help mm. me rebuild some of that foundational confidence. Like you said, you know, she was light, she was easy to manoeuvre, yeah. she was time, relatively yeah. simple to yep. use, except for the coat, the choke, hated the choke. Um, <laughs> and she was a gorgeous blue. It was a, it was a lovely colour. Uh, and, you know, I think we did, we did a few months of, you know, starting in, in the car parks mm. and loops around kind of local spots. Yep. Uh, and then... Uh, because I was also using it to commute into the city, doing that same ride five days a week um, was a really great way to just build familiarity with the bike and with riding. Um, I think I also did a course on road skills and cornering technique on that CB125, yes, yeah, riding you, alongside you people too, on very much, slowly. <laughs> much yeah, on thousand cc bikes. Yeah, which <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, was hilarious. Um, but yeah, that was, that was enough to, to yeah. get me back on track to the vision, to get ready for that second level license test, um, which passed with flying colors, slight flex, complete perfect score, no, no demerits yes. or anything. Um, which I've heard and I was since, yeah. very, very proud of that. Um, and, and so once I had that, you know, I was ready for, for my second bike. The Yamaha O3, which was you know, very similar to the original bikes that we'd researched and figured out would work, and and I was also really confident taking out um, the CB300 and the Ninja 400 at that point um, out for some test rides. Mm. I had a much clearer idea about what I wanted from a bike um, and what felt right, um, and we ended up buying the R3 as a used bike actually through through a private seller. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more in the next episode about what to look for when buying a second-hand bike. But even that one, yeah, I had that for a couple of years, and that worked well for the types of riding I was doing at that time, which was still mostly commuting into the city, a little bit of highway riding. 
um, and then I moved on to a larger bike again, the MT07, because I wanted something a bit more comfortable at highway speeds, um, a bit more of a comfortable upright seating position, but not a full kind of laid back cruiser vibes. And um, that one I bought used through a dealer actually, and you know, I was able to get the lowering kit and similar that we mentioned. Um, so yeah, the the takeaway here is that the first bike that you own will almost certainly not be your last. I think that is a really, again, a, a key difference between people who ride motorcycles and a motorcyclist versus people driving cars. It is so common the number of people I hear um, who are just kind of selling and upgrading or changing the bike as their life and circumstances and, and needs from a bike change. And and their skills as well. So mm. looking back at your experience, Kahi, where there's no way in the world I could have thrown you on an MT07 um, oh, on no. that first day <laughs> of walking out of your out of your license, even though they were learner approved. Uh, but for you, and it's not the same for everyone, but but for you that wouldn't have worked. Even the the 300 was uh, enough to sort of bang your confidence a bit. The the, the CP125 was perfect for that six nine month whatever it was, period. Um, and yeah, as your skills have developed, you, you feel more comfortable, you, your options start to open out a lot more as well because you are more skilled and the journey just continues. So yeah, uh, mm. uh, absolutely right with that takeaway that don't think about your first bike as having to be perfect. Um, it is a bit of a test case. That is where I tend to also say to people, uh, you know, trying to go for a relatively inexpensive first bike is probably not a bad thing, whether that's private or, uh, sorry, new or used, private or dealer, whatever it is. Uh, try and keep that to a relatively low extent because the, the, the first one will be working out what it is you do and don't like and what it is you do and don't want in a bike. And mm. that's totally fine. That's all a part of the wonderful journey that is bike life. The journey. The, yeah, it's journey. a learning experience. Sorry. And yeah, yeah as, as we mentioned, you know, the right bike will, it will depend on a lot of different variables. Um, and there also might not be one clear right bike mm. for you. There, there might be multiple options. Yep. And so this is potentially where that, that emotive driver might come into play. Looking at things on paper and then actually sitting or testing and, and just getting a feel for which one feels right for right now. Mm, cool. So yeah, that's uh, that's about buying your first bike and, and some things to keep in mind. Um, and next episode, we will be looking specifically at uh, some things to think about when you are buying a second-hand bike which might also be things to think about in terms of maintenance and upkeep of your current bike should you ever be thinking about selling it. What are some things you can be doing to um, maintain the, the resale value of your bike? Until then, if you are going to be riding, then we hope that you ride safe and have fun and come back soon. This is Beyond the Pillion with your hosts, Kahiwa Sabaya and Mark Drexler. Find us on Instagram and YouTube as Beyond the Pillion. Leave a comment to let us know what you'd like to know more about. And if you liked us, remember to rate, review and subscribe or share this episode with a friend. It really helps other people find the podcast.